I even imagined or could, could hope for. And one of those times just happened with this rummage sale process that we just went through. And I want to share a scripture with you that the Lord put on my heart today as I was thinking about this. And it comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we are able to think or imagine, according to his power that is, in work, that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We just went through a process, uh, probably two and a half months um, of a rummage sale, collecting goods, working the items, and those kind of things. And we had many, many volunteers, workers that came out faithfully for eight straight Saturdays and Thursdays that would go through and, and clean things, price things, and display things. And we just went through a, a two-day sale that was quite amazing. And let me tell you about rummage sale shoppers. Friday morning, it was cold and rainy, and our sale was from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., and at quarter to 8 in the morning, this parking lot was packed. I kid you not, and and it was something that I I never would have imagined. We had Lisa helped out with the advertising and made some signs and those kind of things, so we did all that, And um, but we had great workers that worked together as a team that did all the things necessary to do what what needed to be done, and uh, at this time... If you contributed, helping out, working, uh, the sale with your time, volunteered, came out on Thursdays and Saturdays, or any one of those times, could you please stand up? We had a lot, and and I know some of you are not even here right now, but uh, we're so, so grateful to all the help that we had, because without this team, this would not have happened. So we're very blessed to have that. Now back to Ephesians 3.20. Um, this this uh, idea for Roman sale was birthed when we were talking about our, our new roof that we needed and the cost involved. And, and the, the sale was never going to um, cover the cost by any means because the cost was like $50,000. That was the estimates. But it would have contributed. But as time went on, we, we changed it. To, uh, since the roof was paid for, Pastor Dave said, hey, why don't we just make this for missions and benevolence? So... Um, the huge rummage sale that we had. It was huge. Those of us that were here on Saturday, we had this whole back side of the, the garage was filled with products for sale, people everywhere, stuff spread out. Um, I told Pastor Dave, I said, I think we could probably do between 2000 and 5000 A lot of variables involved, like, you know, donations and the weather, which is a, which is a big variable. But but all in all, um, this morning we totaled it all up, and we did $6,127. That's going to go to, uh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. God is so good and so faithful. And um, like the last song, he's amazing. God is so, so amazing. And he works in our lives when we're not even expecting it. And uh, we're just so grateful to him, especially about salvation through Jesus Christ. But So what we're going to do today, if you are able to, if you would like to, we're going to, there's still a lot of good stuff in the garage, um, clothing, knickknacks, miscellaneous, small furniture items, pictures, books, um, uh, Phil Dyer, he passed earlier or last year, and Kathy wants to give away some of his books, and she did that, and uh, Mary Buccelli and Bob, they were signing books um, Friday and Saturday, so there's a lot of different elements involved in the ministry process here that took place, but today, if you would like to go out in the garage, everything is free. So if you see anything that you would like, 
It's free. And free is good. And God is good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Amen. And I think, uh, Pastor Ron, you'll want to stay up here and my wife is going to be busy. Um, she is, uh, taking kids right now and Pastor Yuri is taking kids. So, uh, and Debbie, why don't you come up? So those that are working, um, how many love them? Amen. (laughs) Pastor David. All right, so today is our um, day that we have chosen as um, Pastor Appreciation Day, but um, I'm sure you all agree and know that we appreciate those who labor all the time, and I encourage you, if you aren't already, to be in prayer. When you have your prayer time, to be lifting them up. I'm not talking about laying on your face and unless that's the way God speaks to you or something, but in praying for an hour for him or anything, but just mention them in your prayers and lift them up and ask God to speak through them and work through them and use them um, and continue to do that. And we will see great things and God move in great ways. First um, Timothy 5.17 Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So we are to do this. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Okay, now this, that's what we are to do. This is what um, pastors must do and what pastors do. Second Timothy 2.15 They are to be diligent to present themselves approved to God and a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So with that being said and that in mind, um, if you would stand with me and we're going to pray over these and Pastor Steve, who is not here, we're going to pray over him and Yuri and Deborah and um, Joanne's here. Joanne, you could come up here with us if you'd like. Come on up. Um, obviously, we know when we get a, a pastor that uh, part of that pastor and part of that, uh, the most important part is that wife who, um, as my wife would call her and call herself, the neck that turns the head. The neck that turns the head. She reminds me of that occasionally. Just just occasionally. But anyways, let's pray. Everybody, if you could just reach forth your right hand and extend it to them. Father, we thank you for those who labor among us and, Lord, who present your word and your truth, Father. We pray that you would continue to reveal 
to each and every one, Lord God, your word and your everything that you want to speak to us and say to us. We continue to ask you to use them, Lord, and may they always be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, and may your Holy Spirit lead and guide them in all their ways and in all of their days, Lord God. We ask your favor and your blessing to be upon them, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everyone. You may be seated. We appreciate uh, you as well in all that you do. Thank you for your support and your love and your prayers. It is truly, truly a blessing. Praise his name. And I think all kids are dismissed. Uh, the ones, I think they're all gone already. And those of us remain, take your Bibles, open them to Philippians. We are back in Philippians, working our way through. We are in the second chapter. We're going to go down to verse 12 of the second chapter. And uh, <clears throat> a little bit uh, uh, different of a service today, more things. But uh, we will have you out in time to get some free stuff in the back. Amen. And then go watch the Browns lose uh, and everything. And, or Steelers, whichever. Praise the Lord. Philippians, the second chapter. We've been working our way through this, and we are in a section right now, the main section dealing with Paul's calling. We talked about that and how he dealt with his suffering and the difficulties that he was in. And now he shifts gears a little bit. In the 12th verse, we talked, of course, about the wonderful passage of Jesus and his exaltation. And then verse 12, we're going to do verses 12 and 13 today, uh, I believe. And that is uh, Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So he's now shifting his attention a bit from his calling to our calling. And we understand that that word therefore is always there for a reason, so he's basing it on everything previous to that. And we are going to discover today that the best way to advance ourselves in the kingdom is through humility. Humility. The greatest example of this was Jesus that we saw at the beginning of this chapter. Everything that he did. And he challenges us to follow the pattern of Jesus. And then in the next few verses, Paul gives us a couple of more down-to-earth examples. Timothy and Epaphroditus, down a bit further in verses 19 through the end of the chapter. And so he gives us these examples. And he says, basically, here's, here's our example of humility and how it works. It's Jesus. Now, we look at that and we go, oh boy, Jesus, that's a little bit tough. So Paul says, okay, how about if that's too high, how about we go to the next level and follow me, the Apostle Paul? And a lot of us would probably still say, oh boy, Paul, wow, that's still tough. And though what he does then is he ends up in this last section by throwing in two examples, Timmy and Pappy. Tim and Epaphroditus, like more like, okay, I can handle them. They're normal. They're like us. So he gives us this little insight here today into obedience and humility and how that helps in our walk with the Lord. And so, you know, the past couple of weeks we talked about some of the grand themes of scripture that we looked at with Jesus and his exaltation, which leads to our exaltation. And we talked about the conquering Christ and how wonderful that is and how 
the earth is being made his footstool and he will rule and reign and is ruling and reigning right now. We talked about death leading to life, the old creation becoming new, the defeat of Satan, his triumph over all the power of the enemy, this mortal putting on immortality, this corruptible putting on incorruption. We talked about destiny being fulfilled and death being defeated, the destroyer destroyed, him falling from heaven like lightning, all of those wonderful things. Today, we're going to talk about obedience and work. Amen. (laughs) I know, I know. I'm going to be a Debbie Downer today. Obedience and work, because that's what Paul brings up here. Obedience and work. Aren't those two like the two greatest words on earth, right? Right up there with buffet and vacation. You know, obedience and work. But we have to remember our context. Our context is always the same. It leads to victory in Jesus. And so we're going to talk about practical Christianity today. He brings us from the height of what Jesus did in all of creation, and then he brings us down to where the rubber meets the road. And we're going to talk about two aspects of obedience today, and we're going to find out that this practical Christianity begins with obedience, it continues with work, and then it concludes with his good pleasure in these verses that we just read. So it begins with obedience. Paul says, therefore, since we saw who Jesus was, his humility, his submission to the Father, his obedience, it was all displayed for us. Since we saw those things, here's how it works for us as believers down on earth. That is obedience. Obedience is the fundamental key to working out our salvation. If you don't have obedience before the Father, you have nothing. It's obedience. This is the starting point. It's the genesis of our walk, if you will. If you want to cultivate one characteristic that will move you deeper into Christ, it is obedience. Not to me, not to a pastor, not to an organization, not to a thing, not to a church. It's obedience to Jesus. And I believe it's obedience to the Word of God. That's the real starting point for all of us. And, and I, I believe if you look back at Scripture, <clears throat> you could see how important obedience is. Look back at the, the whole Old Testament and the, and the whole Old Testament, the way it worked with, the, with the, the sacrificial laws and the law that was given. Exodus the 20th goes all the way through Deuteronomy and uh, up to Deuteronomy through Leviticus. If you want real exciting reading, take an evening and just start reading. It's not really exciting, but it's, it's fascinating. Intricate, the myriad of laws. They say that there were 613 laws in the Old Covenant, and when you put them all together by the end of that time. But it's interesting that when Israel finally began to turn its heart away from God, they were still sacrificing, they were still doing the temple stuff, everything was still going on, guts were flying everywhere, blood was flying everywhere, right? Lambs and goats and bulls and doves and pigeons were all being sacrificed. Everything was going on, but their heart turned away from God. They were obedient in the flesh, but they were not obedient in the spirit of the law. And so when that happened, their actions, although they looked holy, their hearts were far from them, and then the prophets began to speak, didn't they? Isaiah, Jeremiah, etc., and Isaiah said right in the first, first chapter of, of Isaiah, to what purpose are all these sacrifices to me, the Lord says. I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of fed camel. I don't delight in bulls or rams or lambs or goats. Don't bring me your futile sacrifices anymore. Incense is an abomination to me. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. I am troubled by them and I'm weary of bearing them. 
And he repeats it again in 43, Isaiah 43 and Isaiah 56. Isaiah 66, he says, if you sacrifice a lamb to me, it's just like breaking a dog's neck. If you offer a grain offering, it's just like pig's blood. Now, now, wait a minute, but God, you're the one that set up the whole sacrificial system. You're the one that put the laws there. Samuel, remember what he said? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To hearken is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And disobedience is as idolatry. Wow! So in other words, we could look real good on the outside, right? But inside, we could be disobedient servants. Wow. So Paul is, Paul is saying in Philippians 2, if you want the pathway to victory in your life, it's the pathway that Jesus took, and that is obedience to the Father, obedience to the Word. So you say, well, how do we work this obedience out then? I mean, that's, that's pretty. How do I be? How do I rid myself of myself? Is anybody out there still trying to rid themselves of yourself? <laughs> yeah, I know you all are. Uh, believe me, we all are. How do, we, how do I get rid of this, this? I'm 63 and I'm still my own worst enemy, right? It's not the devil, it's not society, it's, it's me. How do I rid myself of this self-preservation, self-promotion, self-pleasure, self-preference, self-advancement, all the self that's in there? How do I do that? How do I get to that place of obedience, the beginning point? Well, here's first the bad news, then we'll give the good news, okay? Here's the bad news. It takes work. <laughs> it takes work. Dealing with this flesh takes work. Wow. The greatest enemy we face is not the devil. Remember, the devil's been defeated. He's been destroyed. He's been cast down. All he has is wiles and tricks right now. The greatest enemy we will always face is our flesh and bringing it into obedience. Matter of fact, the New Testament says the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? And then John adds, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If you're any statisticians out there, if you do the math, really only 17% of our problem is the devil. (laughs) 83% is us. The lust, the flesh, the eyes, the feelings, all of that kind of stuff. So Paul starts off very clearly here with the work. And he says there's very little to misunderstand here. When you're talking about your salvation, when you're talking about obedience and working out your salvation, and we'll get to a minute what that means, when you're talking about that, he's very explicit. He's very clear. You don't even have to go on the work. He says very clearly, therefore, work out everyone else's salvation with fear and trembling. Right? You need to work out your husband's salvation because he's not as spiritual as you and you need to take control. You need to, you need, your wife is way weaker than you, so you need to take control of her spiritual situation. Make sure she's praying. Make sure she's forgiving. Make sure she's in the word because you're in control, right? Those ignorant grandchildren. <laughs> Those prodigal children. The Holy Spirit has no idea how to get them saved. No idea. Jesus is totally lost. He needs your help to work out their salvation, doesn't he? (laughs) 
It is so crystal clear. I have to take responsibility for your spiritual walk because there's no possible way you could do it yourself. (laughs) What's the word say? Work out your... And you know, in the Greek, that is emphatic. He didn't just say, work out your salvation. He said, work out your own. So he was trying to make a point. (laughs) Work out your own. You say, well, wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to bear one another's burdens? Yes, Galatians 6. As a matter of fact, if you go home and read that, you'll find out that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, the word says. However, two times in that passage, he also says, bear your own burdens. Hmm. So it starts with us. We do it that way. Our own. Work out your own calling. Exercise your own gifting. Work out your own abilities in the spirit. And then he tells us how. And this is very interesting. Remember, I always tell you, I only give you Greek words if you know them. He says, with fear and trembling. The first word for fear is phobos, from which we get phobia. And it actually means fear. Be afraid as you work out your salvation. It's that important. Paul even talks about, in another portion, standing before the Lord, and he calls it the terror of the Lord for us as believers. We want to make sure that everything we do is not hay and stubble, but for his kingdom. And everything we do in the flesh will be hay and stubble, and it'll burn up. But, but he says, start with fear and tromos, which literally means quaking or shaking. No way of getting around it. And you say, well, what, what does that mean then, then for us? Let me, let me just maybe put it in a little better vernacular so we can understand it. Obedience is that responsive, reverent, and sensitive thing that we have before the Holy Spirit. Responsive, reverent, and sensitive. You, you've experienced it, and you know it. People, people all the time, I, I, I've said it, we all say it, well, I don't know, I just didn't, I just don't I sense the Holy Spirit, or I just don't know when he's speaking to me. Oh, you do, you do. You just don't want to admit it. That's what we all do. <laughs> we don't want to admit it. When the Holy Spirit is challenging us to stop something or to start something or to not do this or do that, we know exactly what what he's saying because deep is calling to deep. He speaks to us. He knows us. He made us. He has the user manual. He knows all about us. And we know exactly when he's speaking to us. But here's the neat thing about all this. And here we'll get to the good part now. Here's the neat thing about all this. After all that sinning in the Old Testament... After all that walking away from the spirit of the law, after all that not listening to the voice of God, after all that, right in that first chapter of Isaiah, the Lord says that wonderful thing, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they're going to be as white as snow. You can be washed again and again. This that we have, this obedience that we have to the Holy Spirit, it's not a fear that repulses. It's not a fear that repels. It's not a fear that recoils. It's not a fear that rejects. Instead, it's a fear that draws us into his good pleasure. Say, how does that work? I don't know. But it's sensitivity and it's reverence. Perhaps it's coming to the place in our lives where we realize, yeah, God, I hold you in awe and I hold you in respect and I can't understand you and I can't fathom you. I can't follow 
follow you many times, but I do know that you want me in your presence. Hallelujah. With all my sin, with all my failures, with all my weakness, you still want me with you. And it's that reverence and that sense of awe that draws us back into his presence. It's a reverence and a sensitivity that says, come, let's reason in Jesus. Let's get washed clean in Jesus. Let's let the washing of the water of the word cleanse our spirits. Let's rend our hearts and not our garments. Let's fall on the stone and be broken instead of being ground to powder. It's that reverence that looks back at these first verses of Philippians, the second chapter, and says, I want to be like the Jesus in Philippians 2. I want to walk in brokenness before your word. I want to walk in humility before your word. I want to be a Hebrews 4 believer. I want your word to be a sharp two-edged sword that divides my heart. I want your word to slice through my intentions. I want your word to cut away my soulish desires. I want your word to separate my sinful joints. I want your word and your spirit to pierce into the marrow of my foolish impulses. I want you to purge my wrong ideas. I want you to expose my appetites. And I've got good news for you this morning. It's his will and good pleasure to do all that. But it takes obedience. There are a lot of people that have stiff necks and they don't want, you know, I, don't, I know in my flesh, I, I, I know there are many appetites that I don't want to give up to the Lord. You, you know, I mean, corn dogs. I mean, come on. <laughs> many appetites. There are many desires that I don't want to give to the Lord. I'm still working on. All of us, we're still working. But it's so wonderful to know that it is his will inside us. And here's that great strange mystery. Paul calls it a mystery. Paul says it's a mystery. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So that's a mystery. How could Jesus be down in there? How could he be living in us? How could Christ, the eternal king, be living inside this filthy vessel? (laughs) Doesn't make any sense. It's a mystery. But I'm glad he's there. It's the same mystery over and over again. He looks at, Paul looks at us and says, work out your salvation now. And then in the next sentence he says, because God's working. I don't understand. Wait, 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 so we're just supposed to stand back and do nothing? Well, God, you're working, so hallelujah, you take control. No, it's working hand in hand. Why? I don't know. I don't know. He's teaching us something. I'm sure he's teaching us something that we're going to need 10 million years from now when we're reigning with him. I understand all that. But he's teaching us how to work hand in hand with him. It's an amazing thing. And Paul takes four words and he does a very interesting thing. He takes the, other, the first two words, fear and trembling, and I believe he matches them with, with will and delight because the word there is actually in the Greek energon from which we get our word energy. And so I believe that Paul matches these two things up and he says, here's what's going to happen. When you humble yourself and you're obedient to the word of God and you're concentrating on your wife's self, I mean on your salvation, I keep getting that wrong. When you're concentrating on your own salvation, here's what's going to happen. He's going to take your fear and trembling and he's going to match them to his energy and his delight. (laughs) And only he can do that. That's why all he requires of us is a broken and contrite spirit. I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your holiness. I don't want your good prayers. I don't want your good preaching. I don't want your good singing. I don't want any of that things. I want a broken and a contrite heart. 
And when I have that, I'm going to take your fear and your trembling and I'm going to turn it into energy and my delight. I'm going to take your fear and it's going to fall before his faith. My weakness is going to be filled with his energy. My trembling is going to be met with his firm resolve in my life. My lack is going to be his fullness. My death is going to become his life. My sickness is going to be his healing. My sin is going to be his cleansing. When I'm lost, he will find me. When I'm in the dark, his word will become a lamp and a light unto my feet. When I'm surrounded, he'll put a table right in the midst of my enemies and feed me. When I'm in faithlessness, he will remain faithful. Right now, as you're sitting there, he is energizing the goodwill and delight of the Father inside of you. And you don't even know he's doing it. It's above and beyond what you can ask or even think. If you can think it, that's not it. He's energizing things in you. He's challenging you to change this or to change that. Why? Not because he wants you to be some super holy person. It's because his delight is in you. He's reshaping your mind from defeat to victory. He's reshaping your heart from a self-serving hireling to a son and a daughter. He's calling after you just like that. And as, as with Israel, as we obey and as we work, he will begin to provide. Do you know what's interesting about this? What's just give me a couple more minutes. What's interesting about it? Because this, this just came to my mind the, the other day as I was thinking. Do you know that with the prodigal son, that whole wonderful parable, the prodigal son, the father gave the prodigal everything he needed to destroy his life. He says, here, here's your whole inheritance. And he knew what he was going to do with it. Fathers are smart. All of us in here are fathers. Our kids don't think it, but our fathers are smart. And and he gave him everything. He said, here, everything I'm going to give you, I know you're going to end up face down in the pigsty eating corn husks. But here it is. It's yours. And he went. And when he left, the father did not chase him. He didn't go after him. He went about his business. And when the son came back, the father said, my son who was dead is now alive. I believe it's the same thing for us, folks. When we disobey, the father says, fine, it's your inheritance. Here it is. Do what you want. It's up to you. You can have kingship or you can have corn husks. It's up to you. And he watches us leave. And his Holy Spirit follows. But he doesn't do a thing until we're face down in the muck and we realize it was better in the Father's house. And we begin the obedience again, don't we? And he begins to provide. And I believe that as we live in him and as we abide in him and as we obey him, he begins to do just what he did in Old Testament Israel all through the Old Testament. He begins to provide. He begins to open doors. He begins to pour out from the windows of heaven. If there's an ocean blocking your path, he'll split it. If there's an army bearing down on you, he'll defeat it without raising a sword or firing your bow. He'll scatter the enemy in seven different directions. When you're thirsty, he'll make water come from a rock. When you're hungry, he'll hang 
the food on trees or send it in the ravens. When you're lost, he'll make a pillar of fire by day or a pillar or a cloud by night. He'll send it to you. For in him, the darkness and the light are the same thing. When it seems like there is no way, he'll bring the mountains low. When that which lies before you is impassable, he will fill up the valleys so you can walk. When the enemy comes in like a flood, he'll raise a standard of victory against it. When you lack understanding, he says, I will become the key of wisdom and knowledge to you because he is the wellspring of all wisdom. When you're shut up on all sides, he's the doorway to deliverance. When there's weakness and sin that threaten to stop you, he becomes your highway of holiness. You can't see him, but you know he's there. You can't feel him, but he stands secure in him. Nothing can confound him because his ways are past finding out. Nothing can defeat him because all power in heaven and earth is in his hand. Nothing can comprehend him because no one can know the mind of God. You and I don't know what he has already prepared for us as his people. All I know is that he in all of his power and ascendant glory is inside of me to do his will and his good pleasure. That's all I know. That's all I know. That's all I know. I don't know how. I don't even know why. I know a lot of you think you're hot stuff. I don't even know why. I don't even know. No, not that you think you're hot stuff. Yeah, I don't know why you think you're hot stuff too. I don't, I don't know why as soon as Eve put that fruit to her lips, I don't know why he didn't just erase the whole chalkboard and start over. I don't know why. Because when she ate that fruit, she sealed his death on the cross. But he loves us that much. So all I know is when I obey, it opens up doors that I could never open myself. It opens up windows of heaven that pour out things that I could never comprehend when I obey. So you say, well, how do we obey? It's real simple. You just obey. We do not obey a list of do's and don'ts. We do not obey a code of ethics. We do not obey laws. We do not obey ritual worship. All of those things were nailed to the cross. They're gone. Jesus did it for us. Now, we do something which is way harder than obeying laws. We obey the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit in us that says, walk that way or don't walk that way. That's harder. There, the, the first century uh, historian, secular historian named Strabo, he defined work, the word that Paul used in this passage. He defined it as work, which is digging silver out of silver mines. That's how he used that Greek word for work. Digging silver out of silver mines. Folks, our salvation is a huge gift that has been given to us but it needs to be dug out. It needs to be uncovered. It needs to be unwrapped because there is the treasure of his delight buried deep down inside. And it's us to up, up to us to obey and to listen as we follow him. Kelly, could you come? Let's just bow our heads. Father, I just thank you that it, it's hard to obey it's hard. 
it's difficult because of our flesh. We don't want to forgive in our flesh. We don't, we don't want to serve. We don't want to take the low path. We don't want to humble ourselves. Our flesh recoils against that. But the good side of this is, Father, that you didn't give us a list of 613 things to, to follow. No, instead you said, here, I'll make it simple for you. Obey the word, period. Whatever the word says, just obey. Just obey. It's so simple. It's so simple that we miss it so many times. So, Father, I'd ask that we as believers would take on the ability to cultivate obedience before you. And know that that obedience takes work. But to know that that obedience will lead to your delight, to the manifestation of your will in our lives, and the energy that we need to move forward. I thank you, Father, for that as we obey you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand together. And you know what is interesting? Paul says, I thank you that you have obeyed not only in my presence, but in my absence. So the real obedience is not here, right, in the sanctuary. The real obedience starts tomorrow morning when that foreman starts barking at you, right? When this thing happens and that thing happens. That's where obedience starts. Real obedience. How many want to be obedient to him in these last days? I do too. I I want his windows of heaven opened on top of me every day. Hallelujah. Praise his name. Turn around. Bless somebody. Go obeying him in Jesus' name. Walk in that. Walk in that.
Father and your friend. 